Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode, we concluded our examination of the testimony of Corey Washington, a social media influencer who live-streamed video from the chaotic streets of Kenosha on the night of August 25th and was within earshot of the shootings. Beginning with today's episode, we will spend this week looking at Prosecutor Thomas Binger's direct examination of Detective Martin Howard, one of the Kenosha Police Department investigators on this case. That's coming up right after the break. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. After Corey Washington steps down from the stand, Prosecutor Binger calls Kenosha Police Detective Martin Howard as his next witness. The detective has a youthful appearance. His head is shaved, and he wears a gray suit, a maroon shirt, and a maroon and gray plaid tie. Howard is a 10-year veteran of the Kenosha PD, spending most of the last three years as a detective, and before that, as a patrol officer. In 2012, the Kenosha Police Department awarded Howard the Medal of Valor for rescuing an unconscious disabled woman from a house that was engulfed in flames. Prompted by Thomas Binger's questions, Detective Howard begins his testimony by telling the jury his actions on the night of August 25, 2020. Howard was patrolling downtown Kenosha with a fellow detective, Ben Antaramian, conducting surveillance on the assembled crowds from an unmarked squad car. One of their assignments, he tells the jury, was to stop by local gas stations to ensure that their pumps were shut off, a measure taken to try to deny would-be arsonists access to fuel for their fires. Detective Howard and his partner were also tasked with responding to the myriad of 911 calls. While many of the reports were unfounded, just before midnight on the 25th, Howard and his partner responded to a report that shots were fired in downtown Kenosha. There was a report of a shooting in the area of 60th and 63rd of Sheridan. And uh, at that time, we initially were, got a report that there were four homicide victims. And that was a report you personally received? Yes. And as a result of that, did your assignments uh, that evening change? Yes, at approximately 1230, uh, Detective Vance Raymond and I were assigned to investigate this case. And since that time, 12.30 a.m. on August 26th, the yep. following morning. Uh, uh, have you and Detective Antaramian been the, the primary lead detectives on this case? Yes. And can you tell us a little bit about what you have done personally uh, in the course of that investigation? Uh, one of the main things I did was uh, go over the internet and try to find as many videos as I could of this incident. Uh, there were a lot of videos on social media, so I uh, do Twitter searches for Kenosha, and find uh, videos that contain the incident and save those. Uh, there were also Facebook live streams, like 
Mr. Washington's that we just saw. I was able to locate that and save that from uh, Facebook. And uh, there were s several other locations that videos were found. Uh, some private citizens came forward with video. We gathered those. Judge Bruce Schrader interrupts Thomas Binger's questioning to call for a lunch break. When court reconvenes, Prosecutor Binger begins by asking Detective Howard how he learned the identity of the shooter. During this exchange, Howard reveals that he saw several photos on social media of an individual whom witnesses were alleging was the shooter. Later on the morning of the 26th, Howard was notified that Kyle Rittenhouse had turned himself in at the Antioch, Illinois Police Department and that Rittenhouse was the individual in the social media photos that he had seen. As the co-lead detective on the case, Howard headed to Antioch to interview Rittenhouse. Prompted by Binger, Detective Howard confirms that he observed multiple injuries on Rittenhouse's body. Can you tell the jury about those injuries? He had an approximately half-inch scratch above his left eyebrow. He had uh, a small cut on the inside of his lower lip, slightly, off slightly offset to the right. Um, there is a approximately two-inch scratch below his left collarbone. There was some redness to the right side of his belly button, just below, just above his waistline. There was uh, an approximate two inch scratch on his left forearm. There was some redness on his right forearm. There was some redness on the tip of his right thumb. And on his back, there was a scratch somewhere on his left side about the, uh, where the left shoulder blade would be in that approximate area. And also there were two bumps on the, on the back of his head that was a, uh, approximately here. So above the left ear, uh, both of those injuries on his head, I could not uh, get to turn up in the photograph because Mr. Rittenhouse has very thick hair. Uh, but with the gloved hand, I was able to feel it and both of these bumps I would approximate to be the size of a penny and that the skin was slightly raised and I was able to feel that with my hands. Was that the extent of the injuries that the defendant reported to you? Yes. Prosecutor Binger next asks the detective to jump forward to his collection of physical evidence from the scene of the shootings. That evidence collection occurred three days into his investigation on August 29, 2020. Detective Howard explains, we got a report from that the citizen came to check out the area of, of where this had happened. And he located two shell casings underneath a silver Chevy Cruze in the car source parking lot. After receiving this report, did you go to that scene uh, to check out these shell casings? Yes. Did you recover those shell casings? Yes. And what were they specifically? They were two Aguila 223 REM shell casings. And... Uh, the location of where they were located. Uh, this, the silver Chevy Cruze was right in the area of what I had seen on the videos of where the shooting of Joseph, Joseph Rosenbaum had taken place. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Prosecutor Binger next transitions from asking the witness about physical evidence to inquiring about video evidence collected by the detective. After a brief pause to set up the video, footage plays on the courtroom monitors that was recorded for a Milwaukee-based independent radio program called The Rundown Live. The clip begins with one of the show's co-hosts, Kristen T. Harris, standing in the car source lot at 59th and Sheridan Road. The camera points across Sheridan Road towards the car source lot at 60th and Sheridan, where there appear to be a number of burned out cars. Kyle Rittenhouse and several other armed individuals mill about as Harris speaks. Kristen T. Harris here at the Rundown Live, and I'm here with a bunch of militia. Um, they're protecting a local car shop across the street. I saw yesterday as this one, there's video of it on YouTube of this one burn. And we have that fire and people are hitting it with bats and a whole bunch of other things. Less than a minute later, defense attorney Mark Richards raises an objection. Due to this audio being played and the editorialization, I don't have a problem with the video being played. I think, I think the to the authenticity of it. I think that the, uh, the, um, the individual who recorded this is uh, available to be subpoenaed if necessary. Well, I don't think it's... Um, it's a rule of confrontation. Maybe we'll try. I don't want to this. Well, start there. Start from that position and we'll see. It's a confrontation issue. Maybe maybe a pressure on her. I'm sorry. Um, it's it's no because it would be something that has to be a record and I'll have to send the jury. It's not. I don't believe it's a confrontation issue, Your Honor, because we're going to be here. We've already heard audio from other witnesses, and we're going to hear more. There was um, not an objection. I I I, I can tell you, uh, if there's descriptive material, then he's entitled to confront the, the speaker. Prosecutor Binger argues that the clip doesn't contain any descriptive material of the defendant himself. The defense counters that Harris has already made editorial assertions in the clip. Judge Schrader sustains the objection, and before Binger is allowed to show the video without sound, the judge offers an explanation to the jury. When I studied evidence last century, um, the evidence textbook, uh, which was probably uh, probably about this thick. About a about a, a quarter of it was uh, dealt with the hearsay rule. Uh, you hear the word hearsay all the time, and uh, the, the the section on the hearsay rule began. <clears throat> there is nothing murkier in the law of evidence than the hearsay rule. And I can tell you from 50 years of experience that that is accurate. Uh, it is a rule that has many, many exclusions, and it has many, many exceptions. Uh, so some things that may seem to uh, the untrained ear to be hearsay are not, and some things that 
don't seem like an R. Um, basically, the rule is that uh, a statement of a non-testifying person cannot be offered to prove the truth of the matter which is asserted in the statement. And this is actually referred to in the in the Bible. St. Paul, when he was put on trial, uh, uh, in in the in, in I think it's Caesarea. Uh, well, it was over in Palestine, uh, in Israel. Um, he was um, he was he was accused of some activity, and he was a Roman citizen, which was not common. But he happened to have been a Roman citizen, and so he had he had rights that we share now as Americans. Uh, and he when they tried to put him on trial with evidence from which was being repeated by somebody who wasn't there and under oath. He said, where are the witnesses against me? I am a Roman and I have a right to confront my accusers. They should be here. And so that led to actually his voyage to Rome to have his case heard before the emperor. Um, so it's an ancient rule. It's strictly, strictly enforced in the criminal courts for very obvious reasons. Um, and um, so that's what we're talking about here. And um, so if the if the person who is making this descriptive material is here and can be put under oath and cross-examined, uh, then it's admissible. But otherwise, it is not admissible through the officer here. The video comes back on the screens, this time without sound. We see a number of armed individuals standing in the car source lot. We also see a number of armed people on the roof of the dealership building. As the camera pans the lot, it comes upon Kyle Rittenhouse. The judge tells the jury that they will be able to hear any statements made by the defendant, and Binger asks for the sound to be turned up as Harris and Rittenhouse have an exchange. Rittenhouse's side of the exchange is barely audible, so we will paraphrase. He jokingly asks Harris if he has a good angle, whether Harris is concerned about catching the coronavirus, and offers the assistance of the group's medics if Harris is injured. When Harris asks if they are local, Rittenhouse says yes, and then we hear him say, I'm Kyle, by the way. Rittenhouse said, I'm Kyle, by the way. Finger again asks for the sound to be turned off, as Harris's video moves past Rittenhouse and focuses on the armed men on the roof one of whom Binger identifies as Dominic Black. The video then pans to the protesters on Sheridan Road and then returns to Rittenhouse and the other armed individuals in the car source lot. In our next episode, we will examine a sidebar debate between the attorneys as Prosecutor Binger, in spite of the judge's admonitions, again plays commentary from Kristen Harris's video for The Rundown Live. We'll also revisit this section of the trial to try to make sense of Binger's thinking in his persistent efforts to introduce audio that the judge has disallowed. But for now, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You can find more information about this trial at CrimeStory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. This episode was written by Vanessa Heron. It was co-produced by Chris Terracone and Aaron Karenik. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. The episode was edited by Chris Terracone. Music for the episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.